itself gives up contagion to this world. Oh, okay. So, so this is the official recording right now. This is the official recording. We are connected. Yes, we are, Johanna. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hi everyone, and hello from the other side to you, Johanna. Hello from the other fucking very other side to you, Linnea. Where are we right now? Uh, I'm at my home, and you are in my home. And you know what? We are. We don't live together. We don't. No. <laughs> we are testing out a long distance call through um, the internet. The internet and all the beautiful things it provides. So we're in separate locations, recording separate recordings, and hopefully it will make sense. Uh, but we apologize if there is any, you know, maltreating to the sound it's possible that there's shit going on but you know this is just a good solution for when we're yes apart. exactly but able to record. doesn't it sound like we're almost in the same room man ooh, 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 ooh. what was that <laughs> pretty much no just being uh, spaced out <laughs> so how was your week how's your life well as you can probably hear, I have a cold again, and um, this one hit me harder. So I'm sick, but I am not sick of you, Aww, so thank you. I'm fucking here. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, ready for this episode. This is a topic we've been sort of pushing up. We pushed it up like it a few times now. Yes, we did. Only and solely for research purposes, you know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. This demands some looking into it, and uh, that's what we did. And we're actually testing something different today. We're uh, we're testing several different things, but we're testing also to do a bit shorter episode um, mm. because we've done a few long ones. Let's be let's be honest. Uh, it's difficult to keep it short when you're very invested in the topic. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we just wanted to test a, I think it's going to be a lot shorter. Not that, you know, only two hours. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but a lot shorter. And we, I guess you guys can give us feedback if you guys prefer shorter or you prefer longer episodes. Sometimes it's exactly. just nice with a bit, you know, like a little, a little mash, you know, a little mash. Yeah. Totally, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It should also be mentioned that we can't see each other right now. So, Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, my arms are – you know how I like to move my arms. They flail a lot. I'm like a bird. I know. You're, yeah, I'm doing that very, here uh, right now. Ooh. Are you drinking? Yeah, I had just a little sip of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Ooh, dude, there's been a fire – right next door to me I, for days it's it's been days now well i mean it's over now but it was for days it was like three days and the entire street was just shock packed with uh sanitation crews and like five fire trucks it was scary it was really scary yeah i saw that it was in your neighborhood i was like it does sort of look like Johanna's place, but it feels like I would have felt it if she was in a bad situation. I was like, our mental, we would have found each other mentally. No, but it, yeah. it, it sort of looked like it was like really, really close to you, right? It's it's literally next door. Oh, I mean, fuck. you know how 
my apartment building is attached to a different ap- yes. apartment building. And then there's a little street that separates, or like an alleyway really that separates yeah. um, oh. our house, our building from the other one. It's the other one on the other side of the alley. Oh, wow. It could have been you. could have been you. It could, yeah. it could have been us. We don't know what happened. It's possible that it was lightning. Yeah which is scary. But it's um, like, I think it's 40 apartments that have been affected or something like that. And 40, 44 people were evacuated yeah. and I saw them all on the street. It was. Our, uh, we have a friend who, uh, well, our friend Emma has a, f- a, a colleague or friend who actually lost everything. In that really? Yeah. She lives there? Yeah. Her apartment does not exist anymore. And, and the only thing she had was literally shirt on. She woke up with the shirt on her back and ran out. And everything is gone. It was messed up, dude. Because here's what happened. This is this is how I experienced this tragedy for other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort uh, of what our podcast is about. Just like talking about how, <laughs> how, how other people's tragedies affected us. <laughs> um, no, I I was awake. It was uh, a little bit before one a.m. and. Um, I was, we had had the window open because it was hot and it started smelling like fire. Mm. So I looked out and uh, like, I couldn't figure out what was going on because there were all these sirens going by. And then I looked and I saw all these people, it, it was pissing raining outside. It was really bad. And all these people kind of huddled together under umbrellas uh, on the street with just nothing, you know, you could tell that they had been evacuated. And then some people with megaphones uh, standing around yelling. And uh, later when we saw the pictures, you could see that the flames were, you know, it was, it was raging fire in the attic, but it totally consumed the fourth, the fourth floor and uh, a little bit of the third, I think. And now that you walk by, I mean, I walked by there yesterday with, uh, with a dog, I'm dog sitting and it was, Literally, you could see, if you look inside the windows, you can see the sky because the ceiling is just completely gone. shit. And it's so fucking sad because you could also see, like, blackened bookshelves and just, yeah, it's fucking really horrible. Oh, wow. It's someone's, those are people's lives that have just been sucked out of existence. It's it's so messed up and like for a second you know it was scary because, um, well the spreading I, as well. I, I mean, had no I had no idea what was going on because I was googling my ass off trying to find out like news reports and stuff, but there was nothing. So uh, in the morning I found out that there was the fire and they were still trying to to shut it out, but um, you know it's old buildings so wall the walls can you know have like ember fires for hours and you don't even know it yeah exactly and oh wow no it's i mean i've lived in malma now for five years and there hasn't been a single fire in five years you know it's just fires don't happen nowadays because they just don't buildings aren't made of that material but there's so many old buildings here in sweden and um what's it called an oskledare uh, yeah, uh, we talked about that. I think it's lightning rods. Yeah, exactly, lightning rods. Old buildings don't have those, and if that's the yeah. case, that it was, you know, lightning that hit it, then fuck. Yeah, global warming is very real. <laughs> These thunderstorms that we've been having just, lately, are, or just Zeus been, is pissed off for some reason. That is also a possibility. I think that's a bigger possibility. Let's be honest. 
Yeah. He's just like, fuck this. Yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah. Maybe he just, but he like, just dropped it. Maybe it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he just like awkwardly looks the other way. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Um, oh no, it, it it was it was really upsetting and uh, yeah I, fuck I, I feel so bad for those people and it it sounds so cliche but it really puts things into perspective because like you know we were just thinking what if they ask us to evacuate yeah um what's gonna happen luckily we live on the bottom floor so we wouldn't have been the most affected but uh in the evening I was being so I was so confused because I saw these two firemen walk on either side of the street um, past my window and they were looking with flashlights in the darkness on the on the ground underneath the cars and I was like what the fuck are they doing oh, really are they looking for are they looking for explosives because you know Malmo I always assume yeah, that exactly. it's gonna be a bomb um, and then I figured out that it's probably that they were looking for um, fuel fuel leaks oh shit that could have gone down in case in case embers fly from the from the fire and there's a car that's leaking gas that could have fucked up oh wow i didn't even consider that me neither but yeah it's um i think they're they're gonna have collections and stuff uh, where you can donate i hope they have collections so you can donate money to the families because some people really did lose every single i just can't imagine yeah. Just leaving your apartment know. and knowing that you will not see a single thing in that apartment again. All your memories, all your photographs, all your like collectibles, every just everything that you love is. Gone. I know, I know. It's it, fuck it. I I I get panicked just thinking about it. Yeah. And I heard that uh, some of the people, like two days in, because it was still really unsafe to go inside the apartments because you know risks just falling apart. Yeah. But a few days in, I know that a couple of tenants had been able to go in with an escort fireman uh, for five minutes and just collect whatever the fuck they could. Can you imagine, like, Mm. gassing yourself up for that and just, like, making a strategy and a plan for, like, what to reach? I just I, I I can't. Like, what would you grab in five minutes if you knew that you might never see those things again? I and that's the thing. What if it's only the shitty things that survived? It's like <laughs> no, I mean, like in all honesty, I don't want to make it, like a joke of the situation. But what if, like, it's your photographs? It's your let's be honest, your not your USBs, but your storages that you want to save. Yeah. And what if it's just that? Like really rigged, ugly, ceramic, shitty cat or something like that that survived. And you're like, Ugh. I bet, I bet you would love that cat. I would, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> you would just. It would become the go- the relic in your house. Yeah. But yeah, I. Uh, that yeah, you really do get. Yeah, it yeah. gets put into perspective, and it sounds really cliche, but it fucking does. Yeah, but I started talking with our uh, another uh, our friend Emma, and uh, we really sh- you really should have like a bag under your bed with your most valuables that you don't like have out and about, like f- photo albums and your storage banks and uh, yeah. those things that you can just literally grab and run out, and you, you don't want to have like you don't have out and about where people can see them so it's okay if it's under your bed um just so you can uh, save something and it's just so oh 
I hope all the an- yeah. I, I hope all the animals were saved as well because but I'm assuming that cuz I haven't read anything about I haven't read anything about any casualties. It said that it was 44 people living there and everyone was evacuated safely. Uh, no mention of any pets, so it feels like, I'm assuming that they're cool too. Yeah, because it feels like something that they would have uh, commented on otherwise. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, sorry for this um, uh, trail off, but this has been pretty much my life the past few days because <laughs> the street has been people's just- lives be destroyed, and you're just like sitting in your window. <laughs> no, but it's been you know it's you can't ignore it. It's just going on right outside. So no, God, no, I no. It's sort of it's almost like you know pausing to watch a car accident. You know when you like you're you're curious and you want to follow what's happening, but at the same time you're very aware of the situation, but you're still safe somehow from the situation yeah and you feel kind of dirty because of that no i oh yeah exactly i understand that as well um but it's human nature to be inquisitive about really well this is why we have this podcast (laughs) in all honesty we're curious about what's dark what's sad what's brutal um but should we maybe go to the topic now let's go into the topic what lies behind these monstrous fears that has chilled the hearts of man since the beginning of time. Well, thank you for that magical introduction, musician. Thank you. <laughs> you are a great composer. Oh, much grateful. <laughs> yes, let's be grateful. Um, so, we are actually going to talk about something really interesting, and that is missing masses or like disappearances of a lot of people. Mass vanishings. Mass vanishings. Okay, so as two true crime and mystery nerds, we are very much, we very much know that a person can almost just pretty much disappear without a trace and never be found again. I mean, we have yeah. we have so many well-known missing people. We have like Madeline Kahn, Amelia Earhart, Jimmy Hoffa, Natalie Holloway, Ben Needham, Asha Degree, Amy Lynn Bradley, Brian Schaefer, Brandon Lawson, Jody. Just like the list goes on and on. Yeah. People are stolen and people disappear, but usually these cases are based, you know, like foul play and that someone yeah. does in fact know something but are choosing not to speak up. And most often these cases involve one person vanishing or maybe even two. So mm-hmm. what happens when masses just vanish into thin air? And no one knows And no one happened. knows. And that's what's so insane. Just not not a single person around the situation knows what's happened. How can just hundreds of people vanish? Yeah. Um, so I think today, uh, should I be, should I go first or should you go first? Uh, I think you should mm-hmm. go first. Cause I got some things I want to talk to you about after mine. Oh, okay. Okay. Well then I'll just roll into mine. Go for so, it. Uh, I want to talk to you about one of America's oldest unsolved mysteries, and it literally takes place during the genesis of colonized America. So, uh, surprise, surprise, we're going back to 1587. Oh. <laughs> In the past. <laughs> and we're going to sit down on the shores of Roanoke Island off the east coast of what is now Hatteras Island in North Carolina. So this is like, it's the east coast of the states and it's um, pretty much in the middle, a bit south. It's actually, uh, I grew up in Virginia and that is the state above North Carolina. Uh, and so we're we're going to discuss what ha- what the fuck happened to the lost colony of 115 settlers that just vanished. Shit. 115 
like yeah that's that's a yeah lot. like a thanos just uh wait have, snap that yeah shit. snap them snap them away oh that should be one of the theories um <laughs> i'll pick that up in the theory section <laughs> Okay, so I think most people know or understand that the United States was, from the beginning, a land where the Native Americans lived and thrived. And then Europeans came and pretty much just stole the land from them and created colonies, because that's what colonization is. So, our story takes place in these early Americas. It's in August of 1587, when 115 English settlers, men, women, and children, arrive on the stormy Roanoke Island. And Roanoke Island ha- hadn't been their chosen destination rail, but the ship's captain refused to go any further. So they just sort of shrugged, you know, and stayed there. <laughs> um, huh. The island was reachable through some of the most dangerous waters of the East Coast. This is like a ship graveyard, and I've read about this area when reading about ships and shipwrecks. Because I like ships. Of course you have. Uh, yes. <laughs> and it was not It was a dangerous spot. Um, so the settlers colonized. They built farms, homes, workshops. They started their new lives. But what's important to know, though, is that they weren't actually the first colony in this area. I, I mean, like a, an English colony in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years later, I sp- okay, so I, <laughs> uh, typo. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, a few years earlier, a small male colony arrived. Oh, no. <laughs> Only tiny men. <laughs> it's supposed to be a, a small all-male colony. <laughs> Got it. So a small all-male colony arrived, and they built quite like a substantial town. However, after you know they sort of assassinated a local Native American leader, uh, it went a bit downhill for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, crazy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the Native tribe naturally became a bit hostile and at a historic drought that you, you know, and they were hungry and tired and they just, they gave up and they were ready to go home, which they did. So they returned to England. Um, And this was all in a year. So they were back home in a year. Shit. Yes. And it's, it's in these abandoned ruins of a ghost town that the new colony decides to rebuild and also expand. So they arrive in the same area, literally the same area. So there was a bit hostility still from the natives the second they arrived. And the Spaniards Understandably. Yes, and the Spaniards had already decades before started exploring the Americas, which we for some reason don't talk about that much. But Spaniards <laughs> were there before Englishmen and most likely Vikings were before that several hundred years earlier. That's another story. Okay. So, and the Spaniards, from what I've gathered, were even more dicks than the English. Um, Mm. So, yes, natives are hostile for every reason in the book. But there were friendly natives that did help supply the settlers with food since um, they arrived in August. So it was way too late for in the year to plant crops. So the, mm. the natives did help them uh, to survive. So sometime later that same year, the governor of the little colony, John White, left his wife, daughter, and nine-day-old infant granddaughter, who was named Virginia Dare, uh, who was the first English child born in the Americas. Shit. Remember that name, Virginia Dare. Virginia Dare. Yes. And so White sailed back to England in order to gather a fresh load of much needed supplies. But at the same time he arrived in England, 
a major war broke out between England and Spain, and so Queen Elizabeth called on every single available ship to join the war effort. Every ship. So the speedy trip, it wasn't so speedy. Uh, it took quite, do you guess how long time, how long it took him to return to his colony? <laughs> Ooh, it must have been years. Yeah, we're sitting on three years here. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, so Speedy became three years. So in August of 1590, White finally placed his foot on American soil again. But what he'd left and what he came back to were two completely different places. What he saw was nothing. There wasn't a single trace of the colony or its inhabitants. And next to no clues indicating what had happened. And on top of that, the entirely empty town seemed to have been abandoned for quite some time as well. Huh. How much... Okay, so this is... I've looked at maybe like 30 sources for this. And how much or little of the town was actually left, building-wise, was really difficult to understand. Since some sources made it sound like not even a single house was left. And in some sources, it's like a ghost town, you know, just not a single living yeah. creature or, or person was left. So I'm not really sure there, but from... Because White, there are also... White has, uh, you know, he's, wor he's worked at a, as an eyewitness. No, but he's had... He has, like, written about what he saw. And what he saw yeah. was... Uh, this is what he descri described when he returned. He stated, We passed toward the place where they were left in sundry houses, but we found the houses taken down. So from what I gather, the houses were taken down to their foundations, either by, like, fires or neglect or just manually, like, taken down. So Disassembled, exactly. yeah. Exactly. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what he saw because – for some, did, I don't know if he knew this, but like Camerons did not exist during the 1500s. <laughs> Just take a picture. Yeah, like it says more than a thousand words. Yeah, hashtag taken down, bitch. Ah. <laughs> okay, according to sources, this we're back in time now when White is still at the colony and all is dandy handy. Um, okay. And what he told them before he left was, okay, uh, if you should leave in my absence... He told the, his little village, his little people, uh, look, if you should leave in my absence, then make a mark on a tree and write your destination on it. We'll engrave it in the tree. Mm. And if you're in danger when you leave, then add a cross to it so I know that you're in peril. And indeed, all that was left of the colony was a one single word carved into a wooden tree. The word was croatone. Ooh. However, there was no cross. All right. And the letters, and this this is so varying what is actually on this. First of all, is it, it can be a gatepost or a tree. And in some cases, there's, in some sources, they also say that on another tree, the letters crow were carved into the, the forts. Like, yeah, a gatepost or a tree. And this is CRO, so the beginning of Croatone. Mm hmm. Uh. So White continued to describe what he saw. In five foot from the ground in fair capital letters was grave and croatone, without any cross or sign of distress. So White actually later concluded that the colonists were safe uh, then, since they didn't show any distress signal. And White also assumed yeah. that the settlers then had left for the Native American Croatone tribe not too far from there, because there was a tribe with that name, Croatone. 
Mm. However, due to shitty weather and few supplies, he never sailed to the Croatone settlement to check on up on his wife, daughter, and granddaughter. And what? No. And instead, he just, like, you know, shimmied it back to England, never knowing what really happened. I mean, it's this asshole's fault that we have a cold case. Had he just, you know, Bruh. you know, taken that express train, I don't know, you know, just sailed. Maybe we would not be talking about the disappearance of 150 people right now. Fucking Roanoke is like, you know, it's legendary. Exactly, and it's this asshole's fault. <laughs> oh, I did not know. It's, I mean, how can you not? Ch- yeah, I don't have any milk or like goat cheese, so I'm going to go home and abandon his family. Fucking douche. Yeah, it, he's he's the first douche in the Americas. Did you know that? That is that really? is fact right there. It's in the in the it's in it's the histories. In- oh, <laughs> <laughs> Fast up his goes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the missing colony of 150 people became known as the lost colony and has inspired countless of theories books and even the tv series i think uh american horror stories made like a series on it yeah and the colony has captured the minds of generations of professional and amateur sleuths and still just nothing how can 115 people vanish without a single trace how can no one know what actually happened? And sure, the theories which have come up over the years are plausible, but there is, like, no theory which has been nailed down as fact. Nailed down as this is exactly yeah. what happened. So this is actually America's oldest cold case. It's the first cold case. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the first place to start with the, is the word, which we have... Been, which we know is Croatone. And like we said, Croatone mm. was the name of an island south of Roanoke, but and the natives that lived there were also Croatone. Um, some mm. say Croatan. So I, I cannot really put down which one is which, Croatone or Croatan, because they're used interchangeably. Uh, okay. So this tribe had been quite friendly towards the settlers. Uh, this might have been due to the fact that their own numbers had dwindled drastically after a smallpox outbreak, most likely brought to you by the Spaniards. Of yes, course. of course, spreading them, spreading them diseases. Um, is that a disease, smallpox, or is it? I mean, it's a, is it called this? What do you mean? I was thinking it was like some fancy word. No, no, like. <laughs> Is it called this sickness, illness? Okay. <laughs> Shit you don't want. Okay. So the theory here yeah. is that either the colonists were killed by this tribe or another tribe, or they were absorbed into the tribe. And this is my favorite, and I believe most po- plausible theory, since it was a natural, it was very natural for them to go to the Croatone if they needed help because they were kind to them. Oh. And well, yeah, they, they wrote the tribe's name on a tree. Yeah. <laughs> So and without a cross, so they weren't scared to go there. Maybe they just forgot. <laughs> I also, I was actually, I was actually considering that as well because maybe they were like in a hurry and they're like, I mean, they can't think about that as well. Yeah, like what was the signal? Oh, I don't fucking remember. Just say what, who it is. Yeah, and then to, like maybe it's also. Oh, I wrote Croatone over there. Did you put the cross on? No, man. And then he starts writing crow, and then he's gonna write Croatone with a cross. But then like they get attacked, so he just writes crow, and yeah. there's just no cross. I think there's a lot of like fuck ups in history. Definitely. Um, that leave it, <laughs> and people just assume that it's like some great mystery, but it's just people being <laughs> stupid. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so some sources have claimed that subsequent English historians mentioned a tribe of North Carolina Indians who spoke English fluently, practiced Christianity, and called themselves Croatan Indians. Oh, there we have it. <laughs> uh. Uh, so on top of that, there were between 20 to 30 English surnames from the Roanoke settlers found in this Croatan tribe, suggesting that we said, like, the integration between the two uh, people. Yeah. But these are claims, you know. These, are, these aren't facts. Really hardcore grapevine situations. Got it. Uh, I feel. <laughs> uh, and another theory postulated that the desperate colonists tried to sail back to England on their own. And you can just, when I said that, you hear you ha- that does not sound good. No. And, you know, and they either got caught by a storm or got lost and gone. Yeah. You know. And some speculate that the Spaniards, who were also exploring the Americas, like we said, at the time, got to them. And then either murdered them or scared them further inland. Or hmm. maybe, yes, this inland theory is interesting because... They could have also just moved inland because of the weather or something. Yeah. And one of the most, this is one of the most popular theories at the moment, because according to the New York Times, uh, there are, they believe, they're, <laughs> this theory believes that the colonists moved about 60 miles inland. And it's based on reports that evidence may have surfaced connected to these Roanoke colonists in this region. And archaeologist Nicholas M. Leggetti told the Times, Quote, I'm trying to make sure that I say this correctly. We have evidence from this site that strongly indicates that there were Roanoke colonists here. So this theory just suggests that, uh, and this theory also suggests that maybe colonists died on their way there inland and they weren't that many. Maybe they just died there in the end or, you know, but that's pretty much all we have on that theory. And I don't know, I can't remember when this theory came out, but I mean... 30 sources and they're pretty much just regurgitating the same information. It's very little work on what studying and research on what actually happened. That's modern research. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so, and after this disappearance, it took 17 years for the next colony to arrive and this colony stuck because this is Jamestown oh. and it's the first, first official colony. And it's, that is the first one It's <sighs> I live near Jamestown, so I'm very <laughs> It's very cool. Yeah. yeah it's, like, it's cool, man. It's cool. Uh, so in 2007, modern time, mm-hmm. uh, DNA started getting collected and analyzed from local families uh, to, in this area to figure out if they're related to the Roanoke settlers. Uh, this is also, They also did this with local Native American tribes. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, they started to check if the ancestors were Roanoke settlers or the local American tribes or both were still there. Oh. So, and the jury's still out on this one. It's just so insane that, I mean, this was 2007 and there's still not really anything there. No, of course. And archaeologists have been digging for a century and no one has, no trace has been found save for the remains of like a small workshop in an earthen fort that may even have built like been built several years after the colony vanished. So there's just nothing zip or maybe, or maybe something, Johanna. What? In walks yet another mystery. (laughs) 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 I'm so sorry. It's okay. It was that, that sounded phlegmy. It was. (laughs) Okay. So, the mystery. From 1937 to 1940, 
a series of stones were discovered that supposedly told the story of what happened to the Roanoke colonists. And these stones are called the Dare Stones. The Dare Stones? Do you remember anything about the name Dare, Johanna? I do. Virginia Dare. Yes, exactly. Well, okay. So the stones are supposedly engraved with messages from one of the colonists, namely Eleanor White Dare, who was the mother of Virginia Dare, and her father was John White, who was, well, the man who... Who fuck tips, fucked up history. Yeah. So the first stone was about 21 pounds and was found in 1937 by a tourist in a swamp. And so, what is this? He said, and brought the stone to em- um, Emory University to be examined for authenticity. Yeah. Now, the stones are mostly co- considered hoaxes. However, many historians actually do believe that the first stone, which is this 21-pound stone, is authentic. Mm -hmm. And these stones were in no way impossible to create. I mean, I think that a lot of times they're like, oh, you know, you can create this during the 1500s. Yeah. yeah. Um, But these were entirely possible to create. So what was on the stone? Uh, On the first side, it says, oh, God, Uh, I'm... Aeneas Dare and Virginia went hence unto heaven 1591. Anye Englishman shoe, John White Governor Via. I don't really know, but it says like uh, Virginia and Aeneas Dare had died. Yeah, it's like a tombstone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the other side of stone um, report, it was a lot longer me- like message and it was in ye old English. So, so I just could not. Un- it's English from that time is not really legible for it's like an entirely different language. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, summarized, it said that only seven of the Rona colonists were left alive and Native Americans murdered the rest. It was signed EWD, which stands for they assume Eleanor White Dare. And it begins, Father, soon after you go for England, we came hither. So in 1940, 47 more stones had been found over this time. 47. Dating until 1599. So a stone dated from 1590, this is sort of like a summary of what they said, claims that the survivors of Roanoke were safe and living with a tribe in Georgia. One stone claimed that Eleanor Dare had married a local chief and given birth to the chief's daughter. And that the tribe was upset about this. Uh, It also... In the same message, uh, Eleanor requested that her father take the, her daughter back to England for her safety. And according to the stones, Eleanor died in 1509 and that her daughter Agnes survived her. So all these stones were examined by the Smithsonian Institute. Yeah. And a historian from Harvard University. And declared that the stones had some degree of authenticity, but... By 1941, the stones had been exposed as forgeries. Oh... But however, my dear, in 2015, a History Channel documentary detailed the study of the stones. And what was found was that the first stone was authentic and the others were hoaxes, concluding that they could like see that it was made. They were made with drills. Uh. Uh, So Ed Schrader, a geologist and president of Brenau University in Georgia, where the Dare stone is currently kept, states, if the stone is real, it's the most significant artifact in American history of early European settlement. And if it's not, it's one of the most magnificent forgeries of all time. <laughs> but so the thing is that geologists in this History Channel documentary, when they 
you know, talked about the hoaxes and concluded that the first one was real. What they did was they tested cutting the stone. Uh, and they, when they sliced a piece of it, it wasn't as white as the inside of the engravings were. Which usually means that the engravings had to have been sun bleached over hundreds and hundreds of years or Ooh. chemically bleached, which was not even possible at the time the stone was found. So that color wasn't even f- possible unless it was real. Yeah. So that's, the, so that's the story of the lost colony. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Damn, good job, dude. Thank you. Thank you. Did you enjoy researching Roanoke? I know that you've been talking about doing it for a while. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe just a little. Maybe just a, a bit. I don't know. I mean, I did it for you, Johanna. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I'm going to slide into my mystery. Are you ready for it? Yes, 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 please. Following this ritual, the entire gathering would throw themselves into the most depraved orgies of filth and obscenity conceivable to the human mind. It's November 30th of the year 1930. Joe LaBelle is trekking through the grim northern Canadian winter landscapes on the hunt for fur. With his sled packed full of skins and his dogs well-fed, Joe is a seasoned man with over 40 years of experience. For days, he has been traveling on foot, a lone man with only his dogs to keep him company. He's traveling back from the Baker's Lake area, no more than 150 miles below the Arctic Circle. That's 240 kilometers, by the way, (laughs) towards Churchill, Manitoba. Did I mention he was seasoned? Because this is a walk of 624 kilometers. That's 388 miles. That is insane. He's walking. But to Joe, this is no match, just a means to make a living. Through his travels, Joe has come to befriend many a people in various parts of the North, as he often sought refuge and shelter with the locals of wherever he was moving through if the weather was too harsh. The winds are blowing cold, and Joe finds that it will be safest for him to start moving in the direction of Lake Anyakuni. Ooh, that's, that's pretty. <laughs> yeah. Where he knows of a village populated by Inuits he had come to befriend. There, he had received a warm welcome as well as food and a place to sleep many times before. So he sets his sights on the little village by the lake and starts heading towards it. With a steady pace, he anticipates he will be able to reach it before nightfall. Joe walks on heartily, but with joy in his heart at the thought of sharing a warm meal and catching up with his good old friends. As a fur trekker, Joe has great admiration and respect for the people who choose to live their day-to-day lives in these grim conditions. And this respect seems mutual, seeing as the Inuits rarely get people passing through, but when they do... It's someone like Joe, who they know has been tested by Mother Nature in order to get there. That's that's something that makes me so sad, is that we know that we'll never be tested by Mother Nature. Uh, I mean, we're it not depends gonna make on what it. you... We're not going to live. We're not going to survive. <laughs> yeah, no. Are you sad by that? I, I want that. I want to put that on my, like, resume. I want to have that certificate tested by Mother Nature. and then like need everyone... it. But I want to be respected. <laughs> You are. <laughs> I feel like that's the only thing that's missing in my life, that I'm respected by Mother, Na- Mother Nature. I mean. Got it. Got mm-hmm. it. Now there's other ways. Okay. Sorry. All right. But as he arrives, even a seasoned man like Joe LaBelle 
cannot believe what he finds. Are you ready? No, but I want to know. Even before fully reaching his destination, Joe is overcome with a deep feeling of unease. Something feels incredibly wrong, even at a distance, but he cannot put his finger on it. Later, Joe has described that it must have been the absolute silence that he was experiencing. The villagers, of course, had plenty of sleigh dogs on their own, and you could always hear them barking as you came closer. As the dogs would begin to stir, children would come running happily to greet the traveler. But on this day, all Joe could hear was the sound of the freezing polar winds and the heavy breathing of his hounds. Cue sound effects. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking went for it with this one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Upon reaching the village, there was still not a living soul to be found. Joe's sense of unease grew larger as he entered the huts one by one, finding nothing but emptiness where life had once been so abundant. Reports regarding how large the population was differ majorly between like 25 to 2,500. Wait, what? And no one actually knows for sure. Yeah. But the most reasonable number seems to be around 30 people living in this village. Wait. So it differs from 20 to... Wait, what? Can you say that again? Yeah. The numbers between... The the, the numbers of how many people lived in Anjukuni village differs between 25 and 2,500 people. And so they just... Okay, we're going to put a hum and we're going to say 30? No, no, no. That's me saying that. The majority of the sources I found... Oh, okay. ...put it at around 30. Oh, okay. I think it was some, like, putting a... A hum, and then they were like, that's in the middle. No, no, no. Okay, okay. No, no. Uh, nonetheless, the belongings that Joe found his... F- the belongings that Joe found his friends to have left behind only made his worry grow. Quote, I felt immediately that something was wrong. In view of half-cooked dishes, I knew they had been disturbed during the preparation of dinner. In every cabin, I found a rifle leaning beside the door, and no Inuit goes anywhere without his gun. I understood that something terrible had happened. He also later stated in an article, I'll admit that when I went in the first tent, I was a little jumpy. Just looking around, I could see the place hadn't known any human life for months, and I expected to find corpses inside. But there was nothing there but the personal belongings of a family. A couple of deer parkas was in one corner. Fish and deer bones were scattered about. There were a few pairs of boots and an iron pot, greasy and black. Under one of the parkas, I found a rifle. It had been there so long it was all rusty. Do you have any information on when he last visited this tribe? Uh, it must have been a couple of of uh, years, I assume. I mean, he had forty years experience, so he must have moved through there occasionally. Maybe I don't know a year. Yeah, but it's but that doesn't necessarily mean that he was the last person who was there. No. Do you have any uh, records on of that? Of no, okay. no. Um, but I'll keep going. Yeah. Sorry. 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 As he wandered through this fo- as he wandered through this frozen ghost town, Joe had found pots hanging over fire filled with charred stew. Inside one of the homes, he found a sealskin coat 
with threaded needles still piercing the fabric, as if someone had just dropped it right in the middle of patching a tear. Joe searched the search for footprints that could possibly indicate to him where the people had gone, but none were ever found. If they ever existed, then the snow had now erased them for good. Through his experience, Joe understood that the villagers would never have left behind all their clothing and the food that they had gathered to last them through the winter. Possibly men on a hunt, but never women and children. Finally, Joe LaBelle came across the unsettling sight of seven dead, starved dogs tied to a tree. It was now that he decided that he had to alert the authorities. Something was incredibly wrong, and so Joe started moving hastily towards the nearest telegraph office and sent off a message. (laughs) It cut to like five days later in his hasty pace. (laughs) Pretty much. Once the Canadian Mountain Police reached Lake Anyakuni, just like Joe, they were met with an unexplainable sight. They combed through every nook and cranny of the village, but found not a single living soul. What they did find, however, was the unsettling sight of an entire Inuit burial ground, each grave dug up and robbed off its corpse. Yet the stones that lay in circles around the graves were still perfectly untouched. Wait, so it was, let's, like, like in a zombie, they just lifted out of the ground, or is the description then, and uh, nothing around them was touched? Basically, the way I understood it is that the way that these people would bury their dead is through digging them down, cover the, covering them with uh, branches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And making sort of like this pattern of rocks around the grave, sort of as our tombstones. Um, And these graves were completely emptied. They were emptied of whoever had been in it, and the stones around it were perfectly still place. And the reason why they mentioned that was because there was speculation regarding whether there were might have been animals that had dug up the bodies mm, and yeah, yeah. you know. But since nothing around it since everything around it was untouched, that makes no sense. Yeah. Could it someone who who dug it up either lifted it out of the ground or did it with respect and mind. Could it be mind. that they were the stones were placed back where they where they'd been from the beginning? It's possible, it's possible, but that still means that someone yeah, did it. exactly. Someone dug yeah, up someone a bunch was, of bodies. knew what they were doing, absolutely. Exactly. Well, the investigation would indicate that the village had been abandoned for approximately two months, and this due to the type of berry that was found in one of the stew pots, which would have been acquired before winter Yay. came. I like that. To make mm-hmm. right to make this story even more intriguing, the mountain police have claimed that as they were searching the abandoned village of Anjikuni, they had looked up at the sky only to see a blue light flickering, unlike any northern lights they had ever seen. No, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew you wouldn't. So, some theories are um, obviously paranormal. Um, there's this there's this one theory that's loose, but it's more of like 
legend, and it's the theory of the Tornrak spirit. Many other uh, many other Inuit tribes that Joe LaBelle came across and shared his story with would speak of a spirit by the name of Tornarik. This was a name that Joe supposedly had heard, but like in a whispering tone when he had sometimes spoken to the Inuit villagers. And this is what the this is exactly what Wikipedia has to say about the topic of Tornarik as an entity of Inuit religion. And um, this is ripped from Wikipedia, mind you. Some spirits have never been connected to physical bodies. These are called tornrarik. Helpful spirits can be called upon in in times of need. Some tornrarik are evil, monstrous, and responsible for bad huns and broken tools. They can possess humans, as recounted in the story of Atanayu... Oh, you got got it. Atanariuat, which, side note, was the first feature film ever to be written, directed, and acted entirely in the Inukitut language. No, (laughs) that was beautiful. But it does sort of remind me of, because I didn't do the supernatural for the Croatone, but the Croatone Native Americans, they did believe in a spirit that existed. That exist on this island that yeah. like absorbed um, the power of human. They absorbed humans into the landscape. If and they would do that if a spirit was uh. offended or angered, and it would turn people to trees, animals, or stones, and any part of the land. So you were pretty much just sucked into the the land. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's cool. <laughs> No, no, no problem. Uh, an angakuk, which is a shaman with good intentions, can use them to heal sickness and find animals to hunt and feed the community. He or she can fight or exercise bad torn or they can be held at bay by rituals. However, an angakuk with harmful intentions can also use tungai for their own personal gain or to attack other people. The once Tornrak simply meant killing spirit, it has with Christianization taken on the meaning of a demon in the Christian belief system. So Tornrak is not by definition evil, but through a Christianized pair of glasses, I suppose, it's it's assumed to be okay, a demon. Okay, so what Christian what people don't understand, they make evil pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. So that's Theory number one. Theory number two um, is that there was some kind of abominable monster that came out of the out lake. Out of the water? And, Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. And because, like I said, this was near a lake. This village was, was built around this lake. And, uh, yeah, basically that there was some kind of cousin to Nessie who just showed the fuck up and was like <laughs> lunch bitch um, but this is very unreasonable for Why, many Joanna? reasons first Why? of all there was there was there was no indication of anyone having done any form of resistance if they had been attacked by some kind of monster then you would have seen signs you would have had found a bunch of gun shells uh, Sorry, you would have found a bunch of shell casings. You would have found um, 
evidence of a fight having taken place. They would have released the dogs so that the dogs could help fight this monster. And as you know, the dogs were tied mm -hmm. to a tree. Um, so there was nothing that indicated that a monster would have showed up because there was no indication of a fight whatsoever. And then there's obviously just ripple and time theory, which, you know, ripple and time. <laughs> they just were there one mm -hmm. second and then they were not. And then my favorite, obviously, the <laughs> alien theory. That the aliens showed up, snatched them, just fucking teleported them from one place to another, just in the middle of dinner, you know, there was no time for them to be shocked or um, try to save themselves. Exactly. There was no reason for them to even suspect that something bad was going to happen. They were just one moment in their everyday life. And the second they were somewhere fucking else with alien intervention. And this would also explain why the graves were empty because that could have been, you know, they were zapped yeah. out of the graves. <laughs> um, and that, you know, maybe these bodies were also needed for uh, whatever yeah, alien I'm purpose. I'm surprised, sort of, that they wouldn't take the dogs as well. I mean, they do take cattle and horses and stuff, so why not the dogs? Mm -hmm. I know, I know. They but, just need humans that time. You no, know, maybe they yeah, had a they different didn't, purpose. Didn't have the and if it was every fucking single soul, living and dead, as long as it was human, yeah. you know, maybe they decided to ditch the dogs this time. <laughs> but that is the story of the Anjikuni village vanishing. There are just too many questions. <laughs> so there are no theories that are sort of like, oh, they just, on their own volition left there are theories that say that this is not a true story i mean uh okay but that's lame and i mean it is it is we're not we're we don't subscribe to that idea we right? believe in it yeah there's also a lot of things that support this being a real thing uh and something that happened it's not just an urban legend you know there's pictures <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, I thought it was at least it, it at least held enough water for me to bring it up. Mm -hmm. um, no, I've heard of it uh, long. I heard of it a long time ago. I think the, I can't remember from where, who, what, or how. Mm -hmm. But I rec I recognized parts of it, so it's definitely a legitimate story. Then, if someone else has you know talked about it, <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, but you know it's 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 fascinating, and like you said, you know your question of is there po is it possible that they left? No, no, it's not. They left everything. They left the whole winter's worth of food supplies. They left in the middle of everything. You know, there was yeah. They left their dogs. They left their guns, which is a shit idea in the conditions that they were living in. Yeah, and even if they did like a like the Diatlov pass where they just heard something and ran for it, no, like with what they got, mm. um, peop I mean, you would have found the bodies in the woods. Some, I mean, exactly. even if animals, maybe if animals got to them and sort of spread it, but blood, it, whatever, yes, something. But then again, if some, no one's visited them for that's the thing that we need to know who was the last one to see them. Mm. Um, and sort of create a story from that because if it's been like two years since some someone saw them, 
um, then it's not strange if there's no blood or any real evidence, for, actually. Um, no, of course, but but it does seem like um, it can't... The indication that it had been at least two months seems to also tell us that it had been not much more. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's, it's interesting because there's... Um, because if there had been maybe an attack from, uh, let's say, you know, worldly uh, hu- other humans, then mm-hmm. there would be the guns would have been lifted at least. Absolutely. Um, the question, and it's the fact that they're dead had been because if they'd been traveling and gonna leave their home, then yeah, it's understandable they like sort of unbury or <laughs> lift yeah. out their dead and take them with them, but. They left everything, everything else. else, and they're going to take their dead, which are literally the most use useless things <laughs> to bring with them, <laughs> um, um, uh, depending on your religion, naturally. But yeah, no, but totally. And you know, there was there were no missing kayaks, there were no missing uh, sleds, and like I said, the dogs were still there. So there was nothing that indicated to anyone that they had left because the fuck. Yeah, and these lights, man. And these lights. Mm-hmm. Do, did you feel that when researching that that might have been like a fictionalized goodie that was added on later? Of course, of course, because okay. it sounds like a fucking punchline. Yeah, like Diet Love and a lot of other, you know. The, but Diet Love has had strange things in this guy. They're literally photograph like the last photograph is. Sort of yes, like- and I believe that this blue light thing was something that was written down in the first accounts as well so it is something that you know it's not a fucking tumblr theory you know that came around in the last 10 years like that has been a part of the story for a long time too okay that's interesting yeah fuck we said keep it short but here we are at an hour yeah i don't know how that happened it just happens yeah (laughs) yeah I just want an answer, Johanna. I want a goddamn answer. <laughs> well, that's why these stories are so unsatisfying because there is none. And trust me, people have tried. Oh, yeah. yeah. What year did you say this happened? Uh, 1930. Interesting. Yeah. All right. But I guess that's what we have for you guys today. Um, are we going to round it off? Yes. I, I mean, I'm prepared to round it off at this moment yeah let's let's do it um are you are you but are you ready to round it off i am i'm so hot right now and i really want to open the window and i cannot while we're recording (laughs) (laughs) no okay well then let's let's just do this yeah I mean, thank you everyone for listening. And we are on social media. You can find us on Arsenic So Podcast on Instagram. And then we also have, you know, a Facebook where we're called Arsenic So Podcast. That is uh, correct. And then we have also a Gmail sort of thing called Arsenic So Podcast at gmail.com. I mean, we're pretty simple to, you know, find. And yeah. Stuff. If you want to find us, you can. Yeah. And um, the most important part is to keep that skeptical eye wide open but never ever forget to believe in the magic yes bye guys see you later bye